Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. Human trafficking is the second largest criminal enterprise in the world. It generates about $32 billion a year. It's estimated that between 12 and 20 million people are trafficked around the world. Human trafficking forces people into the commercial sex trade or labor. We're going to focus mostly today on the sex trade. Most victims of human trafficking are women or girls who are forced into prostitution, pornography, or exploited sexually. Research indicates about 79% of all human trafficking is for sexual purposes. Many believe human trafficking doesn't happen here. It's a crime that occurs overseas or in big cities. The reality is it does happen in Pennsylvania, which is considered a pass-through state, but is also home to those who traffic in commercial sex or those who pay for it. We're going to be joined by a couple guests today. Joining us in the studio is Dr. Susan Mapp, professor of social work at Elizabethtown College and author of several books, including one called Domestic Minor Sex Trafficking. Dr. Mapp, welcome to the program. Good morning. Also joining us is Shay Rhodes, director of Villanova University's Law Institute to address commercial sex exploitation. Professor Rhodes, thank you for joining us today. Good morning. Let me tell our listeners at home that if you would uh, like to join our conversation today, give us a call, 1-800-729-7532, or send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. I just want to follow up on my introduction a little bit. Uh, There are probably many people out there who think of a young woman or a girl being kidnapped or sold into trafficking in some far-off land and then taken to a place where there are customers, sometimes the U.S., probably a big city. Now, again, this is the thinking that many people have. But they think it couldn't happen here in Pennsylvania, especially not here in central Pennsylvania. But it does. Dr. Dr. Mapp, let me ask you about how often it does. It happens all the time. One of the largest cases was actually in 2005, Operation Precious Cargo. As you said, central Pennsylvania is considered a pass-through region because of all the highways and turnpikes that are coming through the area. And there were actually a large number of women and girls who were trafficked from Ohio and were being sold at the truck stops outside Harrisburg, for example, Monada Hill out, out on I-81. And it was alert truck drivers who let the police know that something was going wrong, something's not right here. And they actually wound up recovering about 150 women and girls who had been trafficked for sexual exploitation right here outside Harrisburg. Now, when you say coming from Ohio, were these uh, young women who were born overseas or were these American, Native Americans? These were people who were born in the U.S. These were uh, primarily white women and girls who had been trafficked for sexual exploitation. Um, tricked, trafficked, uh, lied to, and were being sold right here outside Harrisburg. Shea Rhodes, at at, at Villanova, your institute to address commercial sexual exploitation, uh, a relatively new uh, organization, uh, but just what Dr. Mapp said, I know that you agree with 100%. Where do we get this idea, and when I say we, meaning so many people, get this idea that this is something that doesn't happen here, that it only happens overseas or in big cities? Well, I think Hollywood and the media have a lot to do with that. You know, um, even if you look at lifetime TV shows, when I have conversations with people, they ask me questions like, you mean like, you know, the girls from Russia or the Eastern European bloc that you find in the cargo containers at the port? No, that's not what we, we mean, but that's a lot of times what's 
you know, people perceive because that's what they're seeing through the media reports. Well, and and when you say media reports, I I think Hollywood maybe more accurate because there are so many people who get their uh, ideas of how this is happening when it's portrayed in a drama. Then again, I remember a 60 Minutes piece where, you know, some of those news programs that uh, went to Southeast Asia, Thailand, for example, uh, where there are sex tourists who actually go to Southeast Asia uh, for just for sex with with young women so you know how do we get past this shay how do we get past this this idea that it's not happening here i think that we need to to start looking at ourselves and our own communities and our churches and you know various social groups and stuff and ask ourselves the following question is there a demand for sex meaning is are there people in a community in pennsylvania who purchase sex? And if the answer to that question is yes, and I would suggest that it is yes, there is going to be sexual exploitation, and we know that the there there is a trend in ages going younger and younger and younger. So if there is a demand to purchase sex, then there's going to be sexual exploitation and trafficking. What do you mean there's a trend that uh, going younger and younger and younger? For people to purchase teenage girls for sex. Well, I, I, I mean, I understand that, but why? I mean, I, 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 mean I, I, know, I think I know the easy answer, but when you say that there's a trend out there, uh, there are just so many more men who are attracted to younger women? I would presume, yes, that's why the trend is showing that the ages are, you know, younger and younger. There are some reports, you know, out of New York and the Girls Education Mentoring Services up there where the most common age that young, that teenage girls begin in the life of being sexually exploited is is 14, 13, and 12 are the latest numbers that, that we've seen. Uh, Dr. Mapp, I'm sitting here just kind of like, uh, raising my eyebrows because uh, I mean this is I don't know if I call it shocking or not I know it's happening but I I just it's it's hard to fathom that there are so many men out there attracted to younger and younger girls. Well, I would underscore. Uh what Professor Rhodes said about the impact of media. I mean, certainly when we look at trafficking, we pay more attention to sexual exploitation than to labor trafficking. So it gets more attention in the media, not just Hollywood. But we also look at a very particular type of person who's been sexually exploited. So I talked about the type of people who were exploited through Operation Precious Cargo. But people tend to think that that's the only type. So when we're looking for it, we're only looking for that young white girl who's been kidnapped and forced to work for a pimp. When in reality, it's such a broad range of people who are being exploited, boys and girls, women and men. It can be anybody. And when we look at who is buying these individuals, as you say, there are people who are attracted to those young girls. But for others, it's just a crime of opportunity that we have this idea that it's okay to purchase others for our sexual pleasure, that, you know, in some places prostitution is illegal, pornography is legal. 
And so we have this idea that it's okay to buy people for our sexual pleasure. And so for them, it's not about the age of the person. It's about who is available to meet my sexual needs so that I can give money and I can get these met. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad you brought up boys, too, because uh, I, I don't know what the percentage breakdown is. Do either one of you know what the percentage breakdown is between girls and boys? It depends on how the research is done, that if you're looking at trafficking research, it's much higher to be girls. But when you're looking at um, people who are living on the street who are trading sex to meet their needs, what's called survival sex, which is also a form of trafficking, it's about half and half. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of boys who are not being identified because, again, we have this very specific image in our head of who this is, and then we're missing all the other types of people who could be included in that and who are being exploited. All right, let me jump in uh, with a phone call here. Dave is in Lewisburg. Dave, you're on the air. Hi, I live in Lewisburg, and I just wanted to say a couple years ago there was a massage parlor in Lewisburg that was busted for having prostitutes who were from foreign countries And the only people that were prosecuted were the prostitutes. The owner of the massage parlor claimed innocence. The whole community went silent. And it just exemplifies that there is sex trafficking right here in central Pennsylvania. I think people consider Lewisburg a wholesome town. Yet the community accepted sex slaves, basically, from foreign countries right here in our town. And obviously they were in business, so... They were, you know, successful and only stopped when they got busted. And the only people prosecuted were the sex slaves. Mm. Not even the owner was prosecuted. Hey, Dave, thank you very much for your call. Yes, Lewisburg is not the kind of place, I mean, that is a, a beautiful college town and not the kind of place that many people would think of that this kind of activity is going on. So it's a great example. Uh, Shea Rhodes, let me follow up on that because this is probably a good segue into a conversation about Safe Harbor. But is that common, what J- Dave just described, that the women or the girls who are working as prostitutes are the ones who are prosecuted, the ones who are arrested, and the owners, in this case, of a massage parlor are not? That's correct. Um, you know, Pennsylvania has only had a piece of comprehensive legislation on our books that defines, this, distinctly defines sex trafficking and labor trafficking. Since September of 2014. And, you know, one of the most common ways that law enforcement polices uh, sexual exploitation is through the arrest of the prostituted person. And more often than not, that is women. Um, we pulled some numbers um, from the Administrative Office of Pennsylvania Courts because we've been trying to capture what commercial sexual exploitation looks like in Pennsylvania. So we asked the Administrative Office of Pennsylvania Courts to give us the numbers of arrests for prostitution or selling sex or being sold for sex and purchasing sex in Pennsylvania for the full years of 2014 and 2015. So in that two-year period, there were 6,042 arrests for prostitution or selling sex and 1,519 arrests for buying sex or patronizing prostitution. So that differential is is about, you know, 80 to 20 percent. We have just requested the numbers for 2016, and I'm hopeful that they'll 
be more um, equal in policing, but the way that commercial sex has been, not just in Pennsylvania, but policed nationally is, is through the arrests and prosecutions of the prostituted people. The, of those 6,000 6, arrests, do you know how many of those arrested for prostitution were under the age of 18? These were adult arrests. So um, we, we pulled the numbers of adult arrests. So 6,042 for uh selling sex or prostitution were, were adult arrests. We have asked for the year 2016 how many children are, had, were arrested or juveniles were arrested for the crime of prostitution. Because right now in Pennsylvania, a child can be arrested and charged with the crime of prostitution, even though under both Pennsylvania and federal law, regardless of whether or not he or she has a trafficker or a pimp, um, she or he is a per se victim of human trafficking. I'm going to talk more about that in just a moment. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Happiness for so many is stripped away. It's raped. It's abused. It's taken by force, fraud, or coercion. It is sold for the momentary happiness of another. I never thought that Ashton Kutcher would be on Smart Talk, but uh, he testified before a congressional committee just a couple weeks ago. He uh, is the co-founder with uh, his then-wife, Demi Moore, a few years ago, of Thorn, a software that uh, fights uh, human trafficking. And uh, his testimony, uh, a lot of people lauded uh, Kutcher for his, his testimony. And of course, we know in our celebrity culture that a lot of times it does take uh, someone who is well known to bring attention to an issue. But uh, just wanted to, to play that for you as, as part of our conversation today. We are talking about human trafficking. If you have a question or a comment, give us a call 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at WITF.org. You can leave a question or a comment on WITF's Facebook page. We are on Twitter at Smart Talk at WITF. Again, that phone number, 1-800-729-7532. Our guest today, Shay Rhodes, director of Villanova University's Law Institute to Address Commercial Sexual Exploitation, and Dr. Susan Mapp, professor of social work at Elizabethtown College and author of the book Domestic Minor Sex Trafficking. 1-800-729-7532. Let's take another phone call from Daphne in Camp Hill. Daphne, you're on the air. Good morning. Um, you know, this kind of thing would not happen if people, uh, if there were no customers. And the customers, you know, in, in living in a society where we have the Christian background, even the Judeo-Christian and, and the Muslim, Islamic, you know, they don't approve of this either. Um, people have to realize that you can't use another human being with, uh, with such disrespect for selfish reasons. And until those people realize this, uh, this thing is going to keep going. I mean, I don't know how else to put it. People have to look into their own conscience. And, and I don't know, even if people are raised in a good family, they still can do that. So. All right, Daphne. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much for your call, Dr. Mapp. I mean, she's just kind of reiterating what uh, Shay Rhodes said a few minutes ago about there being customers out there. What what Daphne said, you know, about people looking into their own conscious. Yeah, they have to do that. But let's face it, prostitution is not called the world's oldest profession 
for no reason. It's because it has been around for a long, long time. So it is very doubtful that it will stop. Now, trafficking, that's a different story. Exactly. When we look at why trafficking occurs, why do people wind up being ensnared in this, that we have to look at all the drivers that go along with it, that there are people who are living in poverty trying to find some way to pay the bills, that we're looking at a society that says, oh, women are here for for sex, that they're here to meet the needs of men. So we have these huge societal issues that we're then seeing emerge through this particular crime. And then how do we develop laws that are going to be able to uh, effectively address this particular crime? And you were referring to the safe harbor laws. So safe harbor says, um, exactly as Professor Rhodes said, that you cannot charge somebody under the age of 18 with the crime of prostitution, as she said, that this goes against the Federal uh, Trafficking Victims Protection Act. You do not need to establish forced fraud or coercion for somebody under 18 to have been sexually exploited. So the fact that we don't have this actually contradicts that law. Under, under the Pennsylvania's t- law as well. Mm-hmm. Well, well, Shay, let, talk about that, because that's one of the things that you have been fighting for uh, for the last couple of years, Pennsylvania, yeah. to update its uh, safe harbor law. And there has been uh, legislation introduced, but where are you? Explain what it is, first of all, uh, on top of what uh, Dr. Mapp just said, uh, what this legislation says, what you're looking for. So the legislation that, that we were advocating for last session was Senate Bill 851. And we were, there There are different sort of levels of safe harbor, so to speak, but what we think is the best way to protect our sexually exploited kids in Pennsylvania is through full immunity, meaning a child cannot be arrested or charged or adjudicated delinquent for not only prostitution, but other crimes that are considered masking crimes, um, crimes that police would charge um, or prosecutors that would charge uh, instead of charging a child with prostitution that are directly related to their sexual exploitation. So that includes obstructing the highways, loitering and prowling at nighttime, charges that in effect are just charged exclusively um, in, in lieu of charging the crime of prostitution. Also, we were asking and and are hopeful that this will be reintroduced and passed this session, but that the immunity will track exactly with what we passed as part of that comprehensive legislative package in 2014, which is vacator. And what that means is there are adults um, who've been convicted for prostitution and five other crimes related to being trafficked that can petition the courts to have their convictions vacated as though it legally never existed. So it's more than expungement, which says, yes, you can just, you've been good for a certain amount of time. We can expunge that from your record. But vacator basically means that you were legally never convicted in the first place and you shouldn't have been because you were being trafficked. And so we were looking to track um, immunity for kids exactly like that vacator statute. So it includes criminal trespass. Um, small possession of um, drugs. We know that traffickers in Pennsylvania and throughout the U.S. are capitalizing on the opioid crisis and deliberately addicting their victims to heroin and using it against them as a form of coercion to keep them compliant. Um, 
also, you know, obstruction of the highway, obstructing the highways, loitering and prowling at nighttime. And so there are, in it, we added in the crime of false identification because we know that these children who are being trafficked are, are being threatened and told, you know, if you tell police your real name or your real identity, that you'll, they'll send them back to where they were running away from in the first place, which we know is not always um, a safe environment and in, in why they ran. Up. Well, let me, let me just clarify for a moment, because, I mean, you have referred to this, but I want to make sure that everyone understands what you're talking about. Under the Safe Har- Harbor Law, you're going into it uh, with the, the assumption that anyone involved in prostitution under the age of 18 is a victim, correct? Okay. All right. So w- with, with that said... And it's not just an assumption. It, it's, it's legally presumed. All right. So what is the difference between, because both of you have talked about there are laws in place now, what's happening here in Pennsylvania that those laws are not being adhered to, or at least consistently? So I hear a lot of times from prosecutors um, and law enforcement, and I, I don't believe that they have a hard heart and don't want to help these kids. But I've heard, you know, if we don't arrest them and charge them with something, then we won't be able to do two things. One, and everyone agrees on this, keep that particular child safe. And the second thing is ensure that that child heals. Everyone wants that. You know, these children, and I'm sure Dr. Mapp can talk about this um, even more than I can, but these children are severely traumatized rape victims. So everyone wants the same two things, keeping these kids safe and and getting them um, to heal. How to go about that is is sort of where everyone's, you know, not quite sure how to effectuate that. And we don't all agree. So I hear from prosecutors and law enforcement, like, if we don't arrest these kids and charge them, then how are we going to be able to build a trafficking case? How are we going to be able to um, make sure that they stay around to testify against their trafficker? And I take the position, as do a lot of my colleagues, that unless these prosecutions are built in a victim-centered fashion, they aren't going to be successful anyway. And we need to have these kids um, always kept safe, which is what our child welfare system was built nationally to do in the first place and to offer them the opportunities, consistently offer them the opportunities to heal. You can't force a child to engage in therapy, but you can say, I have, you know, this is available to you. Um, When you're ready to talk to someone about this, you can talk to them about it. Um, And in the meantime, just be consistent, be a consistent presence in these kids' lives. Talk to them, treat them like they aren't criminals. Because they're not. They're severely traumatized rape victims. Let me follow up with Dr. Let me follow up with Dr. Mapp because I I see her nodding her head in agreement (laughs) here when you use the word traumatized and, uh, you know, trying to heal the the victims. Yes. So when you, as Professor Rhodes is saying, children cannot consent to to sell themselves under law. And when I think sometimes that law enforcement are looking at these children, prosecutors are looking at these children. They're seeing children who see themselves as active agents. They 
are being trafficked by pimps that they view as their boyfriends. They're being trafficked by a gang that they think of as their family. They're being trafficked by their actual family. So there's a lot of psychological ties going on there that the child does not want to be betraying. But when we look at brain development and with our advances in neuroscience, we're seeing that the brain doesn't fully develop until about age 25, our best uh, cognitive uh, decision-making skills and that many of these children who wind up being trafficked, that they themselves have experienced trauma. Uh, Professor Rhodes referred to the child welfare system. A lot of children are being trafficked out of the child welfare system, that they've already learned the lesson that those who say they love you beat you, that those who say they love you sexually hurt you, that they're put in foster homes, that sometimes they feel that those foster parents are only looking to make money off them. And so by the time the trafficker comes around, they're very used to this. They're used to somebody looking to make a dollar off them. They're used to people who say they love them hurting them, that this is no big deal for them. And so then when they're found by law enforcement, and they don't see this as a big deal. And so it takes a long time to build that relationship. And so you can't walk in with this rescue mentality, and they're going to be so grateful, and as soon as I get them out. And so as Professor Rhodes was saying, sometimes law enforcement says, oh, we've got to be able to charge them with something so we can lock them up until we break that psychological bond. But then you're just increasing the resistance that they have towards involvement. All right, let's take a few more, let's take a few more phone calls here. Andy is in Lancaster. Andy, you're on the air. Yeah, um... I used to work for a private company and did food service with the prisoners. And this happened in Chicago, and it might be before some of the other lords came out for protection. There was a bunch of uh, Chinese uh, ladies that were brought over for prostitution. Um, the gang was busted, so it was about 10 of them, and they ended up in the jail system. They were actually in McHenry County. So it, these ladies couldn't even eat the normal food because they they didn't have any you know they've never eaten meat i know this sounds crazy but we actually had to buy what they were used to eating rice and vegetables and it was very sad because they were caught up in a system where they had tuberculosis and other diseases so they couldn't just be released they were illegal immigrants and they were kind of in a limbo because they were you know they didn't have a choice they were brought over for sex it was very sad. Um, I only worked at that facility temporarily, so I'm not sure eventually what happened with them. But I remember being very upset. Well, I was just saying, it sounds, it sounds like it opened your eyes, Andy. Thank you very much for your call. Uh, Shay, what about that? Is that typical? Is that common? I think so, yes. I mean, you know, we're, we hear different types of what makes out force, fraud, and coercion, right? And withholding food or only giving them certain types of food is, is something that's absolutely used. Um, and it's not surprising to me that, you know, they would not be exposed to certain things. I mean, a trafficker or a pimp's sole goal in life is to make money. And if you have to pay to feed and clothe what they perceive is their property, um, they're, they're not going to take them out for steak dinners. They're not going to take them to the doctor or the dentist. They don't care. There's a depravity there and an inhumaneness about this. 
Yeah, it's not exactly Pretty Woman uh, with Julia Roberts and, you know. Well, that's with, a fairy tale. Yeah, you know, it is that's a fairy a tale. a modern-day fairy tale. Yeah, and, and I, I mean, I know over the years, very popular movie, but over the years there have been many people critical of, of that film for the way it portrayed prostitution and, uh, you know, m- making it look like it was something that, uh, well, it was straight out of Hollywood is what it was. It's, it makes it look like it's glamorous. Right. And I can assure you right. wholeheartedly that it is not glamorous. Richard Gere doesn't exist any more than Prince Charming exists in, the, in Cinderella. Let's take another call from Violent Industry. Mike in Halifax. Mike, you're on the air. I was going to say, besides advocating for better laws for uh, sex trafficking victims, what else can uh, the general public do? Because in a, in our normal course of life, we don't generally run into situations where we, I, I'm guessing, probably um, come face to face with either traffickers or or victims. Thank you very much for your call. Dr. Mapp, what about that? I would actually disagree with that, that there are cases where folks are coming in everyday contact. We had a case down in York a couple years ago where there were women being trafficked at a nail salon, that they were interacting with customers every single day. So there are cases where folks are interacting, and part of it's having our eyes open, looking for something that doesn't look just right. I don't I don't have a visual here, but if you Google on the Internet signs of trafficking, there's a number of signs that folks can be looking for. Somebody who doesn't seem to have freedom of movement, somebody who doesn't have their identification, um, somebody who doesn't have awareness of where they are, kind of time, because they've been moved from place to place. So folks often are interacting because they're being sold to people or they're working for people. And so I think having our eyes open and also recognizing that it can literally be anyone, that it's not just women who were trafficked from foreign countries for sexual exploitation, that it could be that person who's doing your nails. It could be that person who's picking apples down in Adams County. It could be that girl who or boy who's going to school every day and is being sold after school is back home by dinner. And so having our eyes open for things that just quite don't look right, stories that don't seem to hang together, and then uh, reporting them to the National Human Trafficking Hotline when we think something's going on, letting folks know about it. And before, Shay, before I bring you in, we have a call from Jay in Wellsville who is asking kind of a, a very similar question. Jay, you're on the air. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Professor Matt just addressed some of that. I was going to ask two questions. One, you know, how do you identify, and I'll take my answers off the air, how do you identify victims that are being trafficked? Um, and then, two, what can folks do to get involved? I know there's groups like A21. Um, what can they do to kind of try to help, uh, you know, raise awareness and, and be involved in the process? Thanks. Thank you for your call. Shay, what can people do? Well, I, I think being educated as to what the signs are, right? I mean, in our day-to-day lives, we see all different kinds of things. And what our perception of a trafficked person may be is, is presents to the public as a prostituted person. And depending on where you live, um, you know, if you are in a larger city, there's street prostitution happening. If you're in a smaller towns, we all know that the Internet has become the new street corner. So it's being aware of certain lingo. If you're hearing people talk about ads on Backpage.com, you know, there are hotels and truck stops all throughout the Commonwealth. And... You know, hotel employees, even if you are going to a conference, are you seeing men go in and out of a certain room? Are you seeing, um, 
you know, teenage girls, um, more than one of them that don't really seem to know where they are. Um, hotel employees are so critical in this. I know some plays out um, in southwestern Pennsylvania very recently a trafficking case was built because there was an argument between a customer and, a, a, you know, someone, a sex buyer. We hear the term John used a lot. I think we should just use the term that it is. It's a sex buyer or sex purchaser. Um, having an argument with what turned out to be a trafficker in the lobby of a hotel. And the manager was like, this isn't, this doesn't seem right. Something weird is going on here. And they, they recovered um, trafficking victims from the hotel room only because she's like, something isn't right. And she picked up the phone and she called 911, which I just think is, is critical. But we travel throughout the, the Commonwealth in cars, on buses, on trains, um, just being aware of what we're seeing um, is someone dope sick in a bathroom at a, at a rest stop, and you might not recognize them as being dope sick, but they're, you know, they're vomiting profusely. Are they okay? Do they need help? Um, and, and calling the National Human Trafficking Hotline number is, is so important. What is that so number? Very important. Do you have that off the top of your head? Sure. It's one eight 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 thirty seven. 37888. So regardless of where you are in the U.S., whether you're seeing um, what you believe is labor trafficking or sex trafficking, you call that hotline number. And it's routed through Washington, D.C., and then everyone throughout the Commonwealth um, who is on trafficking task forces or in certain police departments, it goes immediately to their um, email accounts or their, you know, um, on-call numbers, and it can route it directly to that area for an investigation to begin. Mm-hmm. Dr. Bam. And then I would also look at what folks can be doing on the prevention side. That This is a question that we often get asked, and since um, my, my particular work focuses on U.S. children who are being sexually exploited, we look at kids who are vulnerable. So... If you want to stop trafficking, then be a foster parent, be a big brother or big sister, tutor in a school, uh, be a troop leader for Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts, and finding those kids who feel like nobody cares about them, nobody loves them, and letting them know that somebody really does. And just having that one adult who is a role model, lets them know that somebody really does care about them as an individual, makes them that much less vulnerable when that trafficker comes around, and we can prevent the trauma from ever occurring in the first place. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. We're talking about uh, human trafficking, mostly sex trafficking. Our guest today, Dr. Susan Mapp, professor of social work at Elizabethtown College and author of the book Domestic Minor Sex Trafficking, and Shay Rhodes, director of Villanova University's Law Institute to Address Commercial Sexual Exploitation. If you have a question or comment, give us a call, 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. Go to WITS Facebook page to leave a question or comment on and also on uh, Twitter, we are at Smart Talk WITF. Again, 1-800-729-7532. Before we go back to the phone, we do have lots of phone calls. Uh, I do want to follow up, Dr. Mapp, on something you just said before the break. You, you were talking about before the traffickers come along. I'll bet there are a lot of people out there who actually wonder, well, how does this happen? How does a trafficker actually become a pimp? for a young girl or young boy. How does it actually happen? 
It happens in a variety of different ways. When we look at domestic minor sex trafficking particularly, there's been about four main types that have been identified. Trafficking by a pimp, trafficking by a gang, trafficking by family, and then survival sex. Um, so I'm going to go out of order. So trafficking by family, that they're literally being sold or traded by their own family. It might be their parents. It might be an aunt or uncle, cousins. And so obviously these are people that they already know. And then the child's being traded for money, often for drugs, to pay a debt. So they're already part of that system. With gang trafficking, they're brought in by the gang members through skip parties, people that they know at school. And then they're brought in and then told, okay, it's time for you to start making money for the gang. It's time for you to give to us. In some cases, they're told, oh, and we're putting part of it aside in a college fund for you. So you're helping to earn money that way. Oh, really? A college fund? <laughs> a 529, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, if it's an individual pimp, it can be a variety of ways. Um, sometimes they'll locate people on the Internet. They'll send Facebook messages. I actually got one from somebody when I was about 40, and I'm thinking, I'm a little out of your target age range. <laughs> but, oh, I saw your profile picture, and you're so pretty, and I'd like to get to know you. And for teenagers who are very vulnerable to get that kind of message, some of them will respond. And the pimp's able to send hundreds of these every day looking for that one or two people who might respond, and then they can lure them in that way. Um, sometimes t uh, teens have run away, and they're on the streets, you know, in Philadelphia, in D.C. They're not sure where to go, and there's not enough room in our youth shelters. And the traffickers will literally circle them like a shark tank, waiting for the folks who get there too late, aren't able to get a bed. Hey, come with me. I can help you out. Hey, you look hungry. And they'll kind of bring them in, act like a friend. Okay, now it's time for you to start paying back. Or they'll lure them in as a boyfriend. Um, for those who run away and are on the streets, um, and then they find, I mean, you're 15, you don't have an ID, you don't have a way to earn money. And sometimes it's the other kids that are like, hey, I know a way that you can make money that, you know, if you go down here and walk this route, then you can make money by selling yourself. And so sometimes it's the other kids who say, hey, this is what you can do in order to survive. Wow. Uh, we have an email here, Shay. I want to direct it to you. Uh, email from one of our listeners asks, what about uh, just legalizing prostitution? Wouldn't that uh, stop uh, the, the problem of trafficking? No, it would actually increase it. Um, and Amnesty International has taken the position that uh, prostitution should be legalized. And what that means is not just the prostituted person, the person who's being sold for sex or selling sex, but also the pimps and the brothel owners and those that buy sex. And if you think about, um, you know, particular areas where, you know, throughout the world where prostitution has been legalized, um, there is a, and you think about it in terms of, of economics, like just basic economics 101, there is a finite supply of individuals in, you know, say, for instance, Lancaster County who are selling sex or being sold for sex. And traffickers capitalize on this because they know that if in Lancaster County prostitution is legal, then traffickers can bring it, you know, will bring in more of a supply, people they're trafficking, 
um, to meet the demand that is now going to come into Lancaster County to purchase sex. Mm. All right, so let's take some more phone calls. We have some very busy lines right now. Try to get to as many as I can. Terry is in Christiana. Terry, you're on the air. Hi. um, I just want to thank the doctors for this very important subject, and everything they're saying is true. Um, I got actively involved in fighting modern-day slavery around 2009 when I tried to help my friend in his child custody case, and this was his daughter from Cincinnati, Ohio, who was being sold and trafficked by, just like you said, her legal caretakers and the legal system. I got international justice mission involved, and they allowed me to speak to some members of Congress in 2012. I have tried really unsuccessfully to change many laws stopping the abuse and violence since then. And right here, we have the Amish children, and many of them are violated by members of their own society. So I tried to write a writ of certiori, which I can hardly say, for the ninth, to change the 19th. 72 ruling of Wisconsin versus Yoder concerning um, the schooling, and I need a lawyer to help me with that, but I figured, like you said, education's the key, but I have many stories, like people, you can see it all around you. I mean, on the bus trip, I helped a man from Bhutan who was being actively pursued by men from India in the bus stop, in the bathroom, and helped him at police in Florida at, at a, I went to a Three boys were standing there, and they came out of a station wagon in Florida. And I went to the police, and they came back. Uh, these kids, you can tell, over here in Goodwill, a little boy. And that one, I didn't do anything, and I felt bad, but you can tell. Mm. So thank you. Terry, thank you very much for your call. So it sounds like uh, she's been very active in, in, in trying to fight this. Let's take some more phone calls. Dennis is in Harrisburg. Dennis, you're on the air. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Um, I have a comment and a question. One, I wanted to bring attention to Zanta International um, in the Harrisburg-Hershey area. It's a network of professional women that advocate for women's rights and human rights, um, specifically to bring um, the issue of sexual violence um, and uh, specifically human trafficking and rape and domestic violence to the forefront. Um, so I want to bring light to that to, to your audience um, and, and to your guests. Uh, but the, um, the topic of... Cyber trafficking came up. It was touched on. My question is, how many or how, how can we help thwart this um, this activity? Um, how can we assist the police? How can we assist uh, federal agents um, with our own eyes um, in, in hoping to, to either stop or prevent it? Hey, Dennis, thank you very much for your call. Shea Rhodes, what about that? What can we do to stop uh, the, you know this this aggression that uh, Dr. Mapp described online? So. We need to call Congress and advocate to have the Communications Decency Act, Section 230, amended. Right now, um, there has been a tremendous amount of litigation against Backpage.com, which everyone knows is um, where individuals are sold for sex on the Internet. And Backpage.com consistently wins um, in court against the Jane Doe's and their families who have sued them um, for reparations because Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act um, protects Internet providers from being um, not being held liable because they aren't engaged in user content. So basically what that means is um, there are all different kinds of basically classified advertisement sites on 
the internet. Craigslist is one of them. Backpage.com is another one. And the Communications Decency Act, which was passed in 1996, was created um, because the internet continues to expand. And it provides protection for someone who owns a website. Um, If someone comes along and posts something on their website, they can't be held liable for what uh, users of their website are posting. But what Backpage.com has done and what the permanent subcommittee in Congress has found, um, they issued a report in January, it was actually a 54-page scathing report, is that Backpage has gone one step further, which has, they have gotten involved in user content, basically telling traffickers and um, how to create ads to put on their website so that they can make more money. Mm. Here, we have uh, an email here from Kathy. It says, please let everyone know of a safe house called The Harbor that will be opening soon by North Start Initiative in Lancaster County for trafficking victims. Uh, and I would encourage anyone who is involved in, in, in fighting this, if uh, you have suggestions like that, uh, to go to our website and let our, uh, let our listeners know, who, and those who read our website, witf.org, there's a section there for comments. So you can do that. Uh, who knows? You may be saving someone's life. Let's go to uh, Claire in Schuylkill County. Claire, you're on the air. Yes, I I think this topic is so important because I've talked to people about pornography and they'll say it's victimless crimes. You know, in other words, there's no victim here. Um, the fellow that called a little while ago says, um, gee, I don't see people like that, like you're talking about. These uh, people who are being um, taken and used. And the fact is, every time you turn on your computer and look at pornography, those people in those porn videos are victims, and they're being used. And that's my comment. All right, Claire, thank you very much for your call. You know, Dr. Mapp, uh, you, you kind of uh, shook your head uh, when she said victimless crime, because this is something that we have heard about uh, prostitution over the years, and it goes back to those who would advocate for legalizing it, that, oh, it's a victimless crime. But I think we've established in this program that many of the people, most of the people, especially those under 18, that they, this is not a victimless crime. Exactly. And as we've been saying, that if you're under 18, any kind of sexual activity, whether it's prostitution, pornography, stripping, that they're all covered, they're all trafficking. And as Professor Rhodes was saying earlier, if you legalize, then it just makes it easier to hide those who are being exploited. And this is what they found consistently in studies around the world, that legalization actually increases trafficking. Whereas Sweden, what they have done is while they have removed the criminal penalty for selling sex, it is illegal to purchase sex. So they purchase the buyers, and as we talked about early in the program, then that drives down that demand. And this is simple capitalism. If there's less demand, there's going to be less people being sold. And so they've seen a huge decrease in the amount of trafficking. Certainly it doesn't eliminate it. Nothing's ever going to completely eliminate it. But I think that we could look to Sweden as a model for law that effectively fight trafficking by criminalizing the buying. Let's go to Samantha in Harrisburg. Samantha, you're on the air. Hi, Scott. Hi. Why, um, you know, when we talk about the uh, culture of child sex abuse, and, and then it goes without consequence to 
uh, predator priests and, and those bishops that cover up their activities, you know, because these predators can't be identified because of these statute of limitation laws, um, it, it's really no it, different than the pimps on the street, you know, that are trafficking these uh, children. Uh, so are you advocating for, uh, because this is something that a lot of people are fighting for in Pennsylvania, to get rid of the statute of limitations when it comes to child sexual abuse? Absolutely, because these guys should be on Megan's list. They're still out there. They're still active. You know, um, these predators uh, don't stop unless they're caught or they die. You know, <laughs> hey, if, if, Samantha, thank you very much for your for your call. We only have about 90 seconds left. I want to thank both of you for being with us today. This has been eye opening in a lot of ways. And, uh, uh, you know, I, one thing, uh, Shay Rhodes, I want to make sure that uh, we have an opportunity to tell our audience that you have an event coming up later this week, Thursday and Friday at uh, Villanova, engaging the survivor community in advocacy, healing and criminal justice. Tell me a little bit about that. Sure. We are so excited to, to be putting on this symposium. We have 10 survivor leaders coming in um, from all over the U.S. to teach various workshops to professionals, um, social workers, lawyers, judges. Hopefully some legislators will attend. But teaching various workshops, um, including on survivor empowerment and opportunities, survivor mentoring, um, teach about the bottom girl phenomenon. There's going to be a writing workshop exclusively for survivors, um, intersectionality of commercial sexual exploitation and women of color. Uh, we're going to be piloting um, a program with Equitas, which is the prosecutor's resource on violence against women with a survivor leader from Oregon, excuse me, from, yeah, from Oregon, prosecuting sex trafficking cases using survivor expert testimony with um, one of their attorney advisors from Equitas, Jane Anderson. So we're so excited because every workshop is led, driven, and designed by a survivor leader. And we have probably 10 uh, survivors throughout Pennsylvania that will be coming um, and participating in the workshops as well as law enforcement and prosecutors and defense attorneys who represented uh, prostituted people and kids. Now, is that something that the public, could the public attend? Absolutely. Okay, now how would someone get in touch with you, or uh, maybe not you personally, but uh, register and say they'd like to show up? I have about 30 sure. seconds. So on uh, Villanova Law's website, which is um, law.villanova.edu, we have a web story up with a link to click to sign up on an Eventbrite. Okay. All right. I want to thank uh, Shay Rhodes, Director of Villanova University's Law Institute to Address Commercial Sexual Exploitation, Dr. Susan Mapp, Professor of Social Work at Elizabethtown College and author of the book Domestic Minor Sex Trafficking. Thank both of you for being here and uh, discussing this very important topic. Thank you. And coming up on tomorrow's show, we have Pennsylvania Secretary of the Department of Environmental Protection. A lot of questions to talk about, a uh, lot of issues, I should say, to talk about there. 